You're listening to The Nerve, an English at WIT podcast. In this episode, I'm honoured to be joined by the painter of the Vicky Phelan triptych, Vincent Devine, who, in collaboration with Vicky, aimed to create a symbol of hope and strength for Ireland's women through this painting. Vincent and the owner of the painting, David Brennan, recently toured the country with the painting for International Women's Day, visiting WIT, where Vicky once worked. Vincent talked about the symbolism present in each section of the triptych, and he was joined by other speakers on the day, one of whom I have to mention was our English colleague, Dr. Christa de Bruyn, who wrote a beautiful poem, Triptych in Blue, about the painting as well. So welcome, Vincent, and thanks so much for joining me today, because I know you're very, very busy. Um, I was wondering if I can bring you back to, you know, to basics, really. Can you tell us a little bit, bit about your general work and how you came to be the painter that you are now, how you got into this uh, line of work? Because you're you're like a young person as well. You're 35 years of age, as far as I'm aware, because I know you did refer to that yeah, on International yeah. Women's Day. So, you know, you're, you're you're very young and and very successful at this point. Um, and so, you, yeah, tell us a little bit about your journey here. I mean, uh, the feedback I'm getting from David Brennan is that people, uh, they, they get surprised by how young I am. Uh, I just say I'm a, I'm a pup. Um and still quite young and, and still very much a student of life in general. Um, so, I mean, when I was seven years of age, I made my mind up that I was going to become an artist. I, uh, I just decided and it was very much um, my life's goal from then on. So as I got older and um, I kind of started to realize the challenges that came with being an artist in general. And um, I just kind of had to keep driving on and making sure that I got my goal. And my goal was essentially just to do what I wanted to do for a living and make, um, I suppose, a standard of living for myself out of it. Uh, but nobody told me how hard it was going to be, um, as it is for artists at the moment. And it's quite a timely time to be having the conversation because of the generalised payment for the artists uh, that's coming in um, through Minister Martin. So uh, it's timely, I suppose, and it's a good time to have conversations about the importance of the arts and why we're valuable. Um, and uh, I suppose I've, I've constantly, in answer to your question, been trying to expand my art practice into new and exciting things. And when something worked, it worked. And um, if it didn't work, I would try to, I suppose, rejuvenate it so into something that it would work at. So it's been very much, um, I suppose, I know I'm only 35 now, but it has been a long, I mean, I, I started really on the road when I was about maybe 19, 20. Um, and I've been kind of constantly building since I was seven and keeping up my drawing skills and stuff. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a road that has many turns and, and avenues. But uh, any questions you have, I'd be delighted to answer them on it, you know, the journey along the way. Yeah, it's fascinating. And especially we're going to get to kind of your, your style of painting, I suppose, um, because if anybody has gone to your website, um, which is vincentdivine.com, isn't that right? Yeah, vincentdivine.com. Um, anybody would would see that you have a series that invokes the principles of neo-dimensionism. And this is something that you mentioned on International Women's Day as well, that guided the way that you um, created this work on Vicky Phelan. So would you be able to just explain a little bit about what that is and how you got into that? Um, I, I, when I, maybe about five or six, six years ago, I want to say, um, I'd been starting to do a lot of research in general. So as audiobooks became more popularized, I was able to paint my other series, which is my Ambiguity series, which is kind of my more, um, 
accessible, say, price point wise series. I mean, the, 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 the ambiguity series has sent me all over the world. I've been in shows in Hong Kong, Miami, Toronto, all off the back of the sales of those on their own. And as I was painting those, I was listening to podcasts from different people as it became more widely accessible. And I started to kind of go down rabbit holes of things. And essentially what neo-dimensionism was, was I had been a big religious boy, you know, big Jesus boy, as people would say. And I just loved the idea of the big guy upstairs keeping you safe and keeping everything going. And then as um, the abuses in the church became more prevalent and became more known, I started to really reevaluate my belief system in my teenage years. And then I became the way of the atheist where I didn't believe in anything because it was much easier to believe in nothing. And then essentially it kind of transferred into the idea of the phenomenological things in life that you can't really explain away with logic, um, even through quantum mechanics, things like that I started to research. So essentially I wrote a manifesto, which is 7,000 words long, and it's me trying to rationally, I suppose, hypothesize about the things that are maybe bigger than we can answer at the moment based on technological disadvantages we may have. I mean, you look at the space race now at the moment, and that's a body of text that will be available for people or interested parties to read and dissect. Um, it's really more of an academic text. It's not something that's supposed to be read and understood straight away. And that's the feedback I've gotten from it. It takes a bit of an analysis and that's my nature. So what that led me to was a kind of a new way of painting that I felt was the next way of moving forward. And the long and short of it was that, you know, we, we live with the human anatomy all the time. But when you look at the human anatomy, you dissect it. It's kind of indicative of, you know, mortality or, you know, surgery or something being wrong. Even though we can't perceive it with the naked eye, we live with it all the time. So I thought about the hypothesis of four dimensions and the fourth dimension being a different plane of existence in another way. I mean, it's all completely hypothetical, uh, but I base my work off the back of it because as three dimensional human beings, we actually view the world two dimensionally. So we rationalize the world by viewpoints and vanishing points and things like that. So really, we perceive the world as a flat piece of paper almost like movies still stacked one after the other and the only reason we can perceive this world is because time exists in a linear fashion that every time time goes by in a linear way we perceive the world as being in motion as moving because time dictates that so in my hypothesis i hypothesize if there's a fourth dimension and there are four dimensional human beings as we are three-dimensional they will be able to perceive our three-dimensional bodies in a three-dimensional way so they'll be able to see through you like an x-ray or they'll be able to see the tops of your heads and the bottoms of the soles of your feet without having to really move their physical body if there was a physicality to it. Um, it's not a new hypothesis. It's been kind of floating around for a while. Um, and that's why I choose the anatomy to kind of look inside the body to make the invisible visible. The stuff we live with all the time that we can't perceive with the naked eye. I said, well, why don't I just paint it? And then what I can do is I can use symbols like the heart obviously means love. It means passion. It means different things. The lungs, lungs mean breath. It means expression as well of, of your breath to, you know, um, express things you're passionate about. So then I do things like symbols where if somebody grew up in a certain county or a certain country, like, for example, in my John Hume painting, he had a massive connection to the politicians in the States. So I've taken the emblem of the United States of America and I took the bald eagle and there's a bald eagle in his one, and that represents his connection to the United States. So I can do things with the anatomy. 
I studied anatomy for years just to get an idea and map the body out. Now, I don't think you could ever um, do surgery on any one of my people in my paintings. I think you might be um, playing with fire there and cut the wrong artery and stuff. But I, I've studied it enough that I know where everything is and how everything works. Um, and that's why I came to Vicky, because Vicky's story has been such um, a medical one that I thought, what better way to do it than to go to her with what I'm trying to do here with my manifesto work and ask her to be a part of it. So that's how it happened. I reached out to her through the charity that we raised money um, with Heroes Aid and the CEO reached out to Vicky because she was on the board and Vicky was invited to my studio. I invited her and I showed her a painting of another woman, um, Artemisia Gentileschi, who was a Baroque artist in the 1600s in, in Italy. And I just won her over. Um, and that's how the, the whole thing started. I mean, from literally manifesto writing um, in about maybe 2016, 2017 to 2020 and meeting Vicky Phelan and her absolutely changing my life, you know. Yeah, because that was going to be my next question, actually, about how that came to be. Um, but what, when you, while you were talking there, it made me think about this idea of, of the dimensions and also about time, because I think something that's really interesting in the triptych is the way in which different time periods can kind of coalesce and exist at the same moment. And so something that we see is, you know, Vicky's past struggles and past um, kind of traumas kind of coexisting with her future hopes and her present moment. And so it's really interesting in, in the painting, the way in which um, all of the symbols that you mention kind of condense that those time periods as well. Is that was that something that you were trying to do or is that just a byproduct of, of that whole approach that you were taking? Yeah, I mean, that's a very shrewd observation, um, Jenny, because I mean, a part of the reason I wrote the manifesto as well was I was studying um, and I was listening to audio recordings of um, European art history. And as I was listening to the, to the, the lectures, there were only maybe 30, 40 minute lectures um, and they were available on YouTube. I started to notice a pattern emerging because obviously as human beings, we're wired to notice patterns. It's how we evolve. And I started to notice this pattern emerging and I went, that's very interesting. So like a kind of a, I suppose, a mad researcher, I printed out major moments in European art history from the cave paintings in France, right up to artists that are more recent, like Louis uh, Lebrocchi and Francis Bacon. And I put them, I put the cave paintings in France on a big wall at the top left-hand corner. And then I ended up with Louis Lebrocchi down at the bottom right-hand corner. And I laid them out like the lines of a copy book, like a book. And I sat for hours and hours and hours looking to see could I see the pattern. And sure enough, the longer I stayed, the more I could see, the more I connected together, the more notes I was taking, the more I could see the correspondence of the discovery of the atom and the breaking up of the physicality of paintings, things like that, things about microscopic things and things. So essentially I went, wow, I think I actually am onto something here. So I'm just going to paint what I think is the next thing, which is what people haven't really done, which is paint the human anatomy and paint symbols surrounding what it is. And that essentially led me to being able to pull people's lives apart. Almost like someone comes to me as a concertina fold. And then the more I talk to them, I, I bring the concertina fold outwards and we get an idea of what's inside the cracks of their life. And then with that, I'm able to distill it all down because you have to remember Vicky Phelan is very upfront and she's like that when you're sitting on the couch or when I was sitting here in the, in the studio. 
And she gave me absolutely everything to work with. And that meant the more people give me and the more access to the research I have, the more I'm aware of the sensitivity things need to be handled with. And what happens is I take somebody's life and I try to hand it back to them as a painting and say, is this what your life was about? Are these the important parts? Are these the not so important parts? And that's what ended up being in the triptych is me and Vicky had a collaboration where it was very much about what Vicky did and did not want in that painting. And I handed her my notes afterwards and she signed the notes and she put notes in the margin saying, I would like this. I maybe would not like this. Or could you hide this? And then we can release it then down the road. So that's how it all came to be. And then back to your, to your question about dimensions. I mean, that's what we all are. We're all a complete compilation of everything that's gone before us and that will come ahead of us, but we just can't see that yet. So time limits us in that capacity. And I think if people can, can sit in their own awareness and look at what they've been through, I think there's great wisdom to be gotten from that. I mean, I've gotten tremendous wisdom from it as well. It's still very hard to do, and it's hard for people to kind of sit in that awareness and look at their lives and why they may be functioning in a dysfunctional way and why that may be affected by their past and how that may lead to things like becoming unwell, becoming sick. I mean, I was able to trace back Vicky's illness to her car crash in France, and we sat down and we analysed it. Um, now, I'm not a doctor. I'm, not, I'm just a researcher. But from looking at the research and the patterns of behavior with Vicky's life and because she was so transparent with me, I said, oh, Vicky, I wonder, did the crash in France and the trauma from the crash, could that have had a knock on effect into the stresses of your life because you didn't resolve some of the trauma from the accident? And then, you know, even after we were featured on Nationwide, um, I had painted in Vicky's femur bone and I painted in very prominently. And as I was painting it, Jenny, I kind of looked at myself. I, I would stand in the studio and I would look at the painting and say, why are you doing this? And I'd be talking to myself. And I wanted to take it out. And then I left it in. Something kind of intuitively told me to leave it in. And then a woman off the back of Nationwide came to me and said, I'm just wondering why you left Vicky's femur bone in so prominently in the painting. And um, I said, I actually don't know. And she said that her mother's first symptom of cervical cancer was a broken femur. And that a lot of people didn't know about that. And Vicky didn't even know about that. So Vicky said she went off and researched it. And sure enough, it is. So now with the telling of the story of the painting, I've asked this lady, could I mention her mother's name? So then her mother won't have died in vain. And it can actually help other women to get checked sooner. And then that's what Vicky's want is for the painting as well, for it to, you know, her life and what she's been through and me telling the story in 40 minutes and the story of her life and the story of the painting. Like you said, all time kind of is condensed into that one forty minutes so that people can actually get perspective on their own time scale and not leave everything go so long, Jenny, and go and get their smear and get checked, you know? Yeah. And actually, we'll, we'll get to that idea of like bringing together art and advocacy and, and health, you know, because I think that's really important. But actually, just before we do that, can you talk to me a little bit? Because you mentioned um, another triptych of Gentileschi that you've done and you've done others as well, like Vincent van Gogh and, and Jack B. Yeats. Um, what's the appeal of the triptych for you? Does it allow you to do something that you can't do in a single painting? I mean, the triptychs have a really old... Um, religious uh, meaning. So a triptych would be, there would be a central panel and then the doors would close over and it would be covered and it would only be uncovered for, spe for special occasions. So when the doors were covered in on top of the middle panel, it would be two smaller ones and it would close in and there would be two, like maybe, I don't know, a depiction of Adam and Eve. 
And then when you opened up the doors, it would be this big scene of the Garden of Eden and it would be this celebratory thing. And the triptych allows me, first of all, to have a big area of space. So I will clamp those three paintings together at the back and I will paint across them as one piece. But I designed them in such a way that they will work as individual pieces if you wanted to break them up or one piece will work without the other two. So you could have a diptych, which is two pieces, and the triptych is the three pieces, or a singular piece. Um, what it also allows me to do is break things into past, present, and future if I wish. Or I can put them all together, and the three panels can be just the present moment. But it is nice to be able to um, project into the future, like we did with Vicky's White Horse at the end. And even with my Vincent Van Gogh one, I mean, the asking price I'm looking for is 120 grand for the Vincent Van Gogh one, so the price of a house. But the reason I'm asking for that asking price is because I want someone to take a punt on me the way nobody took a punt on Van Gogh. Because Va Vincent Van Gogh was an absolute tragedy. Um, and he was collateral damage to the lack of medical knowledge at the time. And it's very, very, very sad. Now, I'm not saying I'm as good as Vincent Van Gogh, but I would like someone to think to take a punt on me. And what I've done is, into the value of that €120,000, I have built in something that the cl client is going to get but I'm not going to tell them until they kind of put the money up for it. Um, and see, some, some things I do, like, for example, let's say, for example, down the road, long after Vicky's gone, and let's say there isn't reform to the medical services, and let's say women are still fighting for their rights um, to, to, you know, get answers in certain things and clinical trials and having to go abroad and that. There's nothing stopping me taking that painting back and putting an extra panel on the end of it and documenting the, the lay of the land as it stands in the future. I mean, that's the incredible power of art. And I suppose it's the power of my art as well, is that I'm not necessarily finished. I mean, I can keep adding to those portraits if I so wish, um, especially if I still have access to them and the client wants to maybe increase equity in it and he wants to add something to it. Um, so there is avenues there to keep everything going um, and hold people accountable that haven't been held accountable if they make a promise and they go back on it, you know? Yeah, because that's something that you did talk about as well on the day. And you were you were talking about the importance of, of the painting in raising awareness for gynecological health, but also psychological trauma and resilience and things like that. Um, I suppose for, for anybody who maybe hasn't heard you speak before, would you be able to tell us a little bit about how that manifests in the painting and why that was really important for you and Vicky to include? Because, as I said, it, it is bringing together the field of art with advocacy and with health in a way that maybe a lot of people wouldn't have experienced before. Yeah, I mean, when me and Vicky set out our intention for the painting, the intention was to raise money for frontline workers. And that was the main goal. And then the other goal was Vicky wanted something that she could leave behind, a legacy she could leave behind. And the legacy is to advocate, even posthumously, for women's health. And I suppose she had to be comfortable with the fact that I was someone who could do that on her behalf long after, you know, she's gone and long after other people pass away. I mean, this painting's going to outlast a lot of us. And she was very passionate about that. And she also understand that I would have been passionate myself about women's rights because I have two young girls, you know, and Annalie is 10 and Taya is two and a half. And my daughter Annalie has been profoundly affected by, by meeting Vicky Phelan, profoundly affected to the point where she's turning 11 in a few weeks and she wants to do something with women's advocacy down the road. Now, I mean, for 11 years of age, uh, she doesn't know what that shows up as. 
but she has an idea based on me giving her a toned down version of uh, Vicky's painting. And even to the point where she's now entering into her menstrual cycle, she came down to the sitting room to me and, and Lynn and said about having discharge. And I mean, the only reason she did that was because of Vicky and because Vicky said to be open and honest about everything. And she was comfortable coming into the sitting room with her mother and her father and saying, here's what's happening with my body, which I, which I was very, um, I got quite emotional with that because it means that we're doing something right here. My problem is, is about the older generation, the ones that wanted the uh, Tampax ad taken off the television, all these people that are kind of coming up against this thing. I'm kind of here to say, and I suppose Vicky has said it to me as well, is that I'm not shutting up. I mean, this I'm not stopping this. But I asked Vicky why she thought that she, I asked her why she was happy with me to do it. And I said, Vicky, why, why me? Why, why do you think that it's, it's me and you and why we get on so well? She said that, Vincent, it's very simple. She goes, a lot of women and men as well are getting told by consultants in their late 50s, 60s, go home and get your affairs in order and there's nothing more we can do for you and kind of been dictated to. Now, this is not all consultants. It's only a very few. Um, but I've heard stories that would make the hair in the back of your neck stand up true, Vicky, which I'm not going to disclose now at the moment. But I suppose... She said for someone in their mid-30s to come along and be as passionate as you are about women's health, she said, I think that's a bit of a game changer. And that's why I'm happy for you to do what you're doing at the moment. And that's why we wanted to distill the information down into the painting. And I mean, as soon as I dialogue through Vicky's body about the different parts of her anatomy, as soon as I get to the area of the cervix, that's when I start going into what the actual surgery entails, what happens and what women are finding out on their own. And I mean, I was at an exhibition up in Dublin. I told two women about the cervical surgery and what happens and they were shocked. And they said, Vincent, I mean, you know more about women's health than we do and we're in our 50s. And they said, that's not really acceptable, is it? And I went, well, I said, it's not about me to say that. I said, it's about you as a, a group of women to say that to each other. I said, I'm just here in solidarity and support. So when I come to the middle of, of, the, of Vicky's body, I speak about the color of the blood. And the reason that's important was she said she had a letdown of blood after being intimate with her husband. Um, and if she had known that, that the colour of that blood was not normal, she would have gotten checked earlier. She talks about the lower in the cervix, that men can't have penetrative sex with their wives. The wives want to have penetrative sex as well, and they just can't. It's too painful. And the men are left not knowing what to do, very undersupported. They could have psychological effects of that as well for the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. And the mental health supports in this country are just not what they should be, in my opinion. Um, Vicky has said things like women are finding out, um, women are finding out these things in the bathroom on their own, losing the pubic hair. Um, you know, Vicky had said that sometimes uh, her vagina would be so tender she would tear and she'd be in agony for days after, after the chemotherapy and after different surgeries and stuff. So she said, it's not really fair that women are facing down the barrel that's going on their own. They're having breakdowns on the toilet on their own and then they're pulling themselves back together. And it's just not acceptable anymore. And this is what Vicky had said to me. It's not good enough anymore for women to have to go through this on their own. And men are still learning as well. We're still learning how to be there in support. And we're not going to do it perfectly but just know that we're trying. I know I'm trying. And I know that David Brennan is trying as well. And we kind of said at our talk in Waterford that we are feminists. But like everything else, there is a transition period here as well. And the feminine is coming back. I mean, I think your time in the sunshine is warranted now. I mean, women have been suppressed for so long. 
But there needs to be a regulation to a point as well when women come together to say, okay, how do we move forward in this in solidarity with men as well? Because we do need a gender balance as well. And to say, look, how can we support each other in this while respecting our independence, respecting equality as well, but also respecting the diversity of what we bring together from a man and a woman's perspective? Because we can only learn. I mean, when I got to my 30s, I kind of started to go quiet. And I realized the value of keeping my mouth shut and opening my ears and eyes to the world. And that's, I think, what helped to lead me to being able to hold space for people like Vicky Phelan, who doesn't hold space for many people. I mean, I was very lucky to sit with her for the hours I did. And I absolutely adore her. Um, And that's the bittersweetness of the whole experience when you're doing a portrait of somebody who is terminally ill like Vicky, is that I'm absolutely, I absolutely adore the woman. But I can't fall into her the way you'd fall into somebody who you could become friends with because we all know that Vicky's time is limited. And that's what makes this whole process of this painting. Um, a client of mine put it a very good way. He said, you have an unbelievably sad privilege here. And he was the only person that put it so articulately. It's a very, very sad privilege is what myself and David have at the moment. And all I want to do is make sure that Vicky is proud of what I'm doing. And she has said after the talk in Waterford IT that she is very proud of the job I'm doing and to keep it going and keep her lit. And even with the portrait, I do dialogue at the end of the portrait. There is a still life there. And there are objects in the still life that represent a woman's health and a woman's journey. And, you know, there's parts with like there's sanitary pads in it. There's mushrooms to represent fungal infection. There is the tissue paper there. There's a candle that's lit, which represents the brevity of life. It's beside the ocean, which means that it doesn't matter what way you think that it, death is coming for us all. So we better make the most of what we have in front of us. And you can extend that by going and getting your checks and looking after your health. And men are disasters for it, Jenny. I mean, not looking after themselves. I had a gentleman in here who hasn't had blood tests in three years. I said, you have to go and get yourself looked after. So we need to have this conversation. And I, I suppose we're trying to have it around the painting. And what we want is, is I don't mind people reaching out to me with their own stories of their own gynecological health and men reaching out to me as well through email. I mean, people can get me at info at and tell me your stories. I mean, all I can do is learn and all I can do is, I suppose, weave them into the fabric of the telling of the story so that we can turn this into a movement, essentially, where we can show people that art can be socially active. And Vicky has attached herself to this and very, and I'm very grateful for the fact that she allowed me to tell her story and she's continuing to allow me to tell her story and that we can actually save people's lives here, Jenny, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important what you were saying there too, because I have been at um, Women's Day celebrations in the past where we've had male speakers who have completely kind of missed the mark in terms of what International Women's Day is all about. And you you might run into a bit of mansplaining around what it is to be a woman or, um, you know, a variety of different faux pas. And I think what was really special and important about the way that you spoke on the day was that you could feel Vicky's presence in the room and the fact that her family was there. There was such a deep respect, but 
also, you know, her 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 aura was there in some way um, and not just because the painting was there. So I think just the way that you spoke about her was really, really crucial and really important. Um, as I mentioned in my little blurb at the, in the introduction as well, our colleague, Dr. Krista de Bruyne, um, was asked to write a poem about the painting, which was read out at the event in WIT. And so if I may, if you don't mind, I might read the poem now um, because some of the listeners I'm aware may not have been there on the day. And I'm hoping that this podcast will transcend the walls of uh, WIT as well. And so I think it's a beautiful poem. And maybe afterwards, Vincent, we could kind of talk about this union of these two forms of art that were both inspired by Vicky, if you don't mind. So yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible poem. It is. It's lovely. So it's called Triptych in Blue. I'm just going to briefly read it. Whirling hues of blue, darker the deeper, life folded, poured by time's hand into triptych. Flesh and blood clothe themselves in thunder. Guilt spills her shrouded shores, coarser gleams in standstill. You sit, radiant as lava, eyes blaze dominion, hair burnished like newly spun gold wire, body hollowed under siege in service of myth. The crimson lowry unfolds its wings, roots branch and stretched in stilled accord, solace stitched through dappled bone. The veil grows thin, seams of light split in, shimmering hours, each moment a sacred guest. The moon gathers her stars, folding waves in deep blue shadows on azure sea. Stippled footprints in swept sand proclaim your hallowed spirit on sapphire strand. OK, and so I know that that Krista actually she, she told me afterwards that she really struggled in the reading of the poem. You know, she she read one um, stanza and two of our students um, read the other two stanzas. And she said because of how emotional the whole event was, that she really struggled to keep it together in the reading of the poem. And I actually fully understand it in reading it myself. I think I, I stumbled over a few bits. So apologies, Krista, if you're listening. Um, Perfect. But uh yeah, obviously it's it's difficult to describe the painting that you created in a podcast in a way, but this really kind of captures the story of the three different parts of the triptych, doesn't it? Well, I mean, when Krista reached out to me and said she was doing um, a poem, I got really emotional because this is how these things start. When one piece of art affects another piece of art and expression, this is how movements happen. This is how things get started. And I explained that to Krista and I don't know whether I put her under more pressure or not, but that painting or that, that, that um, poem, I should say, is, yeah, that poem is incredible. And I think she's done Vicky and the painting justice, but I suppose it's all in servitude of Vicky. And for my work to be able to affect Krista in, in a way that she can produce such beautiful images and visual images that come from the words. I'm absolutely in awe of her. I think it's incredible. And I'm, I'm, I can't thank her enough. Krista, if you're listening, thank you so, so much, which I'm sure she is. I, I'm very humbled by it because uh, I loved poetry and I wouldn't have a natural knack for poetry. So when somebody does something like Krista's done there, um, I'm a big believer in respecting people in their own field and leaving people to do what they do. And she has done a fantastic job with that. And it makes me quite emotional even listen to it again. So uh, she did a great job. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you spoke as well on the day about about those footprints that are in the final part of the triptych. Um, and I, I just love the way that she finishes with that as well. You know, the two just you can see the painting when you've seen it once. You can see the painting when you hear the poem. I think the two, as you said, just the, the two of them come together really well. Um, so what are your hopes for the painting now, uh, Vincent? I, I mean, I presume you just are, are, you must be so proud of it. I mean, people say I'm proud of it. I mean, I, I have a thing about the, about the practice of painting. And I mean, I can't tell you, Jenny, what happens in my nervous system that makes my hand do what it does. Um, but I know I'm responsible for it. Uh, but I tend to just be grateful for the fact that I'm able to do it. And I'm proud because Vicky's proud. That's why I'm proud of it. If Vicky wasn't proud of it, then I would be devastated. Um, and the plan is David Brennan, who is the owner of the painting, has been, I mean, I think what I need to express as well is that for David Brennan to come and buy this painting and do what he's doing with it, he's a modern day patron of the arts, just like the Medici family were in Italy. And for him to do this, um, I can't thank him enough. It's an absolute dream as an artist. It's OK for, for someone to go and buy your work, but for someone to go around and help tour it and I suppose, increase awareness of even my other works and the value of them and what they can do is a tremendous honour. So I just have to express my deepest, deepest gratitude to David Brennan because it's a dream come true. Because uh, we were we were aware of the fact that maybe it could just disappear and not be seen again and somebody could try to cash in on it when Vicky passed away or down the road. Um, but the plan is now to keep touring it around the country. People are still welcome to make applications for it. Um, if they have a good enough event or, you know, a series of events. And um, I will be turning around my other paintings as well with uh, Vicky's painting if um, venues allow. And we're just going to keep going and keep raising awareness and hope that um, we can save more people's lives and raise more money for charity. And I suppose increase people's perception of the power of art to tell a story. And I mean, even if I'm not there, I mean, people can still engage. But I suppose what we're trying to get across with this whole experience, because when you go to see the painting and I'm there and I bring people through it, it is an experience. And the feedback on the ground is, is that people didn't expect a painting to do that. And people are incredibly shocked and they think it's for quite bad. And this is feedback I'm getting from people. So we're going to keep turning it around and people are welcome to come forward with proposals. Even international um, expressions of interest are very welcome at this stage because we would love to go international with this and show people that Ireland is a hub and it's a very forward thinking country. And I'm very proud of what we do over here. And I'm very proud of Vicky. I'm very proud of people like Charlie Bird and what he's doing. I mean, we are still very much a country in recovery um, from all the stuff we've had to go through. And I think it gives us incredible empathy as a people. And I just think that what Vicky has done for women in this country, what Charlie Bird has done for motor neuron disease is a testament to that fact. Absolutely. Well, look, I suppose we have to stop talking sometime. That seems like as good a point as any to stop. But Vincent, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today and also for your talk on International Women's Day. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and can I just say too, you know, erasing those boundaries between those different disciplines, I think is a really, really important thing. It's something that in English at WIT, we really do try to focus on as well. The fact that art and literature and all of that, you know, they have something to say about the world and that each 
you know, each different discipline can feed one another. Um, so we were very privileged to have the painting here and to have as I said, Vicky's kind of palpable presence with us on the day as well. Um, so you can find out more about Vincent's work at vincentdevine.com um, and about the painting and the way that maybe you can, that it can be used to raise awareness and funds for cancer support at vickyfeelinportrait.com. Many thanks, Vincent. Thanks so much, Jenny. I really enjoyed that. Thanks for having me. 